Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, this is super cool. Today's show is with Bound for Nowhere. This is a married couple, Mac and Owen, and you can see them on Instagram. You can see them on their YouTube channel and all over the place on social media, and they're doing such cool stuff. Uh, Traveling as a married couple in their van, van lifers, four years, I think, going on now, or maybe over four years now they've been doing this. What a lifestyle this is. I mean, I can tell you, I've just been doing this for six months, traveling around, and and I'm not even doing it 100% full-time, as you know, because if you follow on the YouTube channel, you'll see occasionally I'll pop into my home in Los Angeles where I uh, will maybe stream live and fall asleep on camera, stuff like that, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm back in the van today. I'm having a great time. I, I don't even know where I'm sleeping tonight. I just literally pulled over to record this this intro, and uh, we're going to uh, listen to a great interview I did this week with uh, with uh, Mac and Owen, Mac and Owen from Bound for Mo- Bound for Nowhere. Oh, geez, I can't friggin' talk today. I'm tired, you know. There were coyotes surrounding the van last night. I mean, they weren't like coming in from you know to the campsite area, but they were close. And Charlie was freaking out. And Charlie doesn't bark now. That's the thing that's cool. When like when the coyotes come, Charlie doesn't bark. She just kind of listens. And I can tell she knows that if she were to go out there with them, it would not be good. Uh, I'm not saying she seems scared. She seems very curious, very interested. I can see her looking off into the into the distance, out the window. I'll open the window. You have the screen door open, and then you hear her... You hear the coyotes howling all around and yelping all around. It's amazing. And then Charlie, I know, knows they are her, you know, direct, uh, she's a direct descendant from them or whatever it is. I don't know how it works. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a, uh, 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 an expert in uh, who descended from who with regards to uh, pot cake dogs from the Bahamas and canine uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm rambling right now. I'm rambling. Uh, I need to eat some lunch. I've been eating this stuff. It's this amazing boil in a bag stuff. It's really good. And um, it's, uh, I'll, 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 you know, I just uh, go to the YouTube channel and you can watch, watch me do some cooking on there. Um, but I uh, really love it. And uh, I've been eating these delicious noodles, and uh, <laughs> I'm rambling. You know what? I think I think you get tired out here, and you start to ramble, and you don't make a lot of sense. That's what happens. You get tired out here, you start to ramble, and you don't make a lot of sense. But I'm not saying I'm totally tired. I'm just saying sometimes when you go to sleep at night, you think, hmm, okay, um, I'm sleeping with one eye open tonight. Sometimes. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm terrified. I'm not terrified in the van. But sometimes, being completely by yourself in the middle of the nowhere, you know, I do find myself sometimes sleeping with one eye open. But I'm not saying I'm terrified. I'm just saying we're surrounded by angry packs of wolves 
uh, yelping in the middle of the night. I've got a dog that's here to defend me. This is fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not terrified. I'm just sleeping with one eye open. That's all I'm saying. Okay, rambling because I'm tired. Let's just get right into this. This is a great conversation, a little bit more serious than this intro, but not too serious with a, a great van life couple. Uh, go follow them on their social media and watch what they're doing, Bound for Nowhere. Hi, is this Tom? Yes, is this uh, Mac and Dolan? Yeah, and Owen. Oh, good. Can you, can you guys hear yes, me? Can you hear me? How are you? Can you hear me all right? Perfectly. Yep. All right, cool. Thanks for calling. Yeah, do you want to just jump right into it? Well, let's do a quick little audio check. First of all, where are you? Where are you two? Um, thanks for doing this. Oh, my gosh. No, thank you so much for having us. Uh, we are just outside of Joshua Tree National Park. Oh, okay. Pretty pretty close by. I'm, I'm actually in Arizona right now. Uh, I've been traveling myself uh, for the last few months, and it seems like, uh, seems like we got pretty good connection. You got good cell service right now? Yes, we do. We have intentionally stationed ourselves somewhere to ensure that we don't have any issues with that. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, Mac and Owen, how long have you been doing van life? How long have you been doing this for? Oh, gosh. Uh, We left April 19th of 2016. So, I think that we're coming up on, is it five years now? It will be. Oh, that's terrifying. Five years now, almost. It's so cool. I now I'm brand new to this. I uh, I got a van uh, during this pandemic here because I needed to, you know, get out of the house basically. Uh, and uh, I've been having a great time. I've always loved the outdoors. I've always loved camping and uh, and nature and photography. So this is really getting me on the road. And the last six months, I've been traveling around mostly in the southwestern united states in the desert and when i say mostly entirely i mean but uh uh you know i'm just trying to trying to stay warm but you know i'm canadian so i'll probably be heading up towards canada when it when it warms up a little bit what uh what what inspired you guys to to start doing this lifestyle Gosh, I feel like our story, as far as life on the road is concerned, started uh, back in 2012, uh, which is when I graduated from college. And Owen and I were both kind of had been in the southeast for a long time. And the economy was kind of in the tank. And we were graduating from art school. And job opportunities weren't exactly looking super promising for us. But I think that we just kind of wanted to take some time to get to know the country and see what all was out there. And I think that we were, quote unquote, shopping for a new place to live. And so I think it was three days after I graduated. Owen graduated two years before me. And Owen had the idea that we should go on the road for a little bit. And actually, it was inspired by my parents. My parents did the same thing. My dad was in the army. Uh, And so it was, they did something exactly like it gearing up towards his first assignment. And so we decided to follow in their footsteps and do the exact same thing. And we did that with a tent and a Honda Element for six months. And we realized that we actually had fallen in love with the movement more than we actually did any one particular place. And we realized it was something that we really wanted to keep doing. But, you know, being fresh out of college, inevitably we ran out of money, didn't have any jobs. So we uh, were kind of, you know, in so facto, we had desk jobs and did the whole nine to five thing. And it wasn't until about two years later that we looked at each other. We had just bought a house and we were like, what are we doing? This is not 
what we envisioned for our lives. How did we end up here? And it was actually in that same night that we decided, made the realization that we wanted to be back on the road. We sat down and we came up with a plan and we put a date on the calendar that night, which was April 19th, 2016. And it took us two years and we left on the exact day that we planned. So and you've got this amazing YouTube channel called Bound for Nowhere. And uh, how long did you start doing the YouTube channel right away? And did you have experience with photography and filmmaking? Because you make these really amazing videos on there. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, we didn't start doing the videos right away. It was sort of a few years in, and we had we were in the process of transitioning from our original van into our next vehicle. And so we decided to make the YouTube channel strictly for that rebuild, that whole restoration process. And we wanted to document it and just like put that information out there just to help educate anyone else who was interested in doing something similar or, you know, like anything along those lines. And so from there, it slowly evolved into more and more, centralized, I guess, around our own lives. And so we do a little bit more, uh, more like documenting our own lives in a similar vein to how you're documenting yours on your own channel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. You go ahead. Yeah. I'm I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to get just, we do have experience with photo and video. Um, both of our careers are pretty entwined with photo and video. Owen and I actually both went to college for photo, but actually ultimately both ended up on with different degrees. But we've always had a love for documenting. Um, actually, I shoot a lot of film too. I saw that you have a beautiful Leica. So it's just, it felt like a really natural extension of just documenting what we were already doing. Yeah, that's so cool. Now, like uh, you, you go to some pretty remote places. I've I've just started kind of, you know, uh, really exploring a lot of these more remote southwestern desert places that I've been discovering. I, I actually go in that app. Dirt is where I sort of sometimes yeah. use my jumping off point. But, you know, I'll do a lot of Google searches to find places. I mean, how do you find the places that you want to go? Yeah, so it's kind of a big question. You know, we started out using a lot of apps that are just big databases like The Dirt, like iOverlander, and so many others. And we've eventually started just scouring Google Maps with satellite view. Google Earth has like 3D views as well. So we've started to sort of use the public lands app to determine what is public land and what type of public land it is so that we know what we're allowed to do as far as camping is concerned. And we've started to just sort of find our own places. We also get lots of people generously offering their own secret spots and things like that as well. But we tend to try and find our own just to ensure that it's as remote and isolated, I guess, as possible. I think it's, yeah, a, we it, just it, have our- it's interesting, sir, because I just on that note, like I, I've started... You know, I've driven across the country multiple times over the years touring, doing my stand-up, but, you know, I'm always going from city to city, and I've always loved the in-between places, but it wasn't really until I got the van and I really wanted to go photograph some really unique desert landscapes that I really started kind of zooming in on the Google Maps and, and realizing, wow, there's a lot of places that I've just <laughs> never heard of, you know? 
Like, yeah, absolutely. This country is so big, and there's so, like you know wilderness areas, national parks, state parks, and you start to realize, wow, like look at how much space there is to explore out there that people just I don't think realize how expansive it is. Yeah, and it's funny because I feel like the more we dive into a place, the more we discover within it. Like it just the list continues to grow of new places. Even like, yeah, we could spend a month somewhere and still come up with like four more months of things to do in that place. We always refer to our travels into certain areas. It feels like we're peeling back an onion. And at this rate, you know, we've been on the road for four and a half years. We have a pretty, we feel like we have a pretty good understanding for what's out there. But every time we revisit an area that we love it's in it's just incredible how much more we find and it's just proof that you could spend a lifetime in any one given place and in our incredibly vast country and there you will still find more to see and to fall in love with so what was the last time you found something that surprised you and you know like like you, you if you return to a certain area how do you do that do you go down a road you've never been down before or do you just decide oh we haven't been to this this wilderness area, let's go have a look around or, or, or what, what do you do yeah, to keep I, it interesting? I think a really good example of that is uh, Sedona. Sedona is a pretty, you know, it's a famous area. People go there a lot. They know what they're looking for. And we have been back to that area numerous times. It's just there's something really special about that area that I can't quite put my finger on. And so every time that we've gone back, looking for something a little bit different and it is quite crowded a lot of the times and in our effort to dig deeper be a little bit more remote a lot of like owen was mentioning we got on google earth and just started kind of zooming in scavenging around we found this incredible dwelling out there and it we tried to get to it via roads but there had been a rain recently we almost got stuck out there it, it ended up being like a whole day process going in, not making it, coming back out. And then we were like, okay, well, how can we reassess? And so I zoomed in and found a foot trail. And so we were able to access it from over seven miles away on foot. And it included a river crossing. So it just, you have to, you have to be willing to spend the time to do some research and, and dig deep and, and look. And I think that with time, a lot of people uh, probably give up before they learn to read and recognize things on a map. But as time has gone on, we've just gotten better at knowing what to look for and let things catch our eye, I guess. Yeah. And I'd also like to add that, you know, we've, this year's a little bit different, but generally speaking, you know, like one of the best parts of travel is just meeting people out there, like at the grocery store or wherever, you know, we strike up conversations with people and, a lot of times they'll give us great recommendations for things that we wouldn't otherwise know existed or have even heard of, whether that be like trails, food, whatever. Yeah, people have 100%. But, you know, when we went on the road, we went because we were questing after beautiful places and new experiences. But I think that by and large, when we think about our travels, the most incredible thing that we have gotten out of this experience is people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So would you say we're nearing the point or are we nowhere near the point where every every inch of this country has been photographed? Oh, that's an interesting that's an interesting thought. And I would 
probably say before this summer, I would have ventured to say yes. But this summer, we, again, made an effort to be exponentially more remote than we have been in the past, just in an effort to still be able to go about our lives the way that we live them, but also to give space between us and other people for, you know, our health and safety and that of everybody we come in contact with. And we found some just like, I don't, again, it's that onion. You dig deeper and you're like, how in the world? Like, no one, somebody's had to have been out here. But like, it just feels like no one knows about these places. But that's kind of the magical thing. It's like, okay, maybe somebody else has been here. But it kind of just feels like you get to discover it and it's something new, even maybe. Yeah. Because it seems, it seems like the starting point is is always where you can get with your vehicle, of course. You know, like, mm-hmm. like you know, uh, you know, I'm 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 in a, a Ram Pro Master. It's two wheel drive. It's got front wheel drive. It's great on the dirt roads, but you know, certain sometimes the roads get a little the, the dry sand or the or a little washed out. And I go, okay, I don't think I can go any further down this particular road without a with without some sort of dune buggy or something like that. Do you worry? <laughs> do you, you know, because do you worry about getting stuck out there in the middle of nowhere? Have you been? You must have been had some some pretty harrowing experiences with the vehicle i'm sure over these years have we ever um so i will say that we were pretty blind when we stumbled into living this way neither one of us had any like four-wheel drive experience off-roading you know none of that it was just like we're two kids in an old Volkswagen van that broke down seemingly every other day. And all the things that we like to do are down awful deteriorated roads, seemingly because we climb and surf and hike and backpack and do all of these things. And they always seemingly are at the end of just these awful roads. So when we started, our van was technically speaking a one wheel, it's two wheel drive, old Volkswagen van. And I kind of just got to the point where it felt like our vehicle was what was holding us back. So that was actually why we started that new build, which started our YouTube channel. And it was just like a thirst to get further and to get more remote and to peel back the layers even further. And ultimately, that vehicle didn't work out for us. And ever since then, we so we've actually are on our fourth vehicle. Um, but and what, is, what, is what is it? What is it? What is your van now? Tell give me give me sort of a breakdown of some of the specs of what you're driving now. So right now we have a 2019 Toyota Tundra. It's a four by four, but we removed the truck bed and put on a flatbed camper. So it's a four wheel camper is the brand, and we have an Australian aluminum flatbed that it sits on. So it's, it somewhat resembles a truck, but it's really like a camper. Yeah. It's afforded us a lot of space, a lot of capability. And I will say, so I call this our slumdog millionaire vehicle because all of our past experiences and failures all culminated in decisions that we made for this vehicle. And I feel like this vehicle has turned out to be a lot bigger and kind of flashier. It's got a lot of bells and whistles. We got a winch, a snorkel, you know, all of the gear, but every single piece of equipment that we now carry was because something went wrong in the past, or we came across somebody who needed gas on the side of the road. 
So we feel like everything that we have added to this vehicle is both insurance for us and people that we travel with. And I guess ultimately also other people that we come across down the road, because now we can fill up people's tires. We have extra gas. We have a winch. Um, It's just when you're going to be as remote as we typically are, it's really important to be prepared for every scenario. So you have a snorkel. So that's so you can drive through rivers, I guess. Right. That lets the, the, the engine breathe. Um, is that something? That is, is that something you've used? Have you had to use that much? Or <laughs> yeah, actually. Um, so we bought when we had this truck built for us. We had the snorkel put on, and actually, it's kind of a common misconception. Snorkels are just as much for better air quality for your engine as it is for moving your air intake higher up on the body of your truck. Okay. Normally, it's going to be down low. Now it's up high. But it's great. We spend a lot of time in the desert, too, and it's super dusty. There's a lot of moon dust and sand. And so by moving your air intake higher, you're pulling cleaner air into your engine. It's ah, better for the longevity. I did, yeah, but also, I did not know that. I did yeah, not know that. Yeah, you learn something new every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you guys um, have been doing this a long time. That's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you. I want to pick your brain and figure out what I'm doing wrong because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like I'm going through – you know, my own little learning curve right now. Uh, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got stuck once. Uh, actually, my first day out, I got stuck uh, because I was out, out, out in some uh, in the desert and the road had some very sort of loose sand on it. And that's when I realized, oh, OK, uh, dri- oh, yeah. driving through deep sand is, is not something that I should be doing. So I got stuck pretty much instantly the second I hit the deep sand. So I know to watch. Oh. I know to watch for that now. But um you know, I Were you able uh, to get out on your own. What's that? Were you able to get out on your own? Well, with the help of AAA, uh, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> honestly, I, honestly, I was fortunately not that far from the paved road. I, it kind of like was almost like an instant, uh, uh, instant, uh, you know, bogging down as soon as I hit the dirt road. So yeah. it, was, it was fortunate enough I was able to just call a tow truck and they come pulled me out. But so I was glad I learned uh, learned in a way that I was able to not be too screwed up. But you know, I have like uh, a satellite. Uh, it's called a Spot X. Uh, uh, satellite messenger Very that I have. I mean, is that I haven't had to use it yet, but I do feel good knowing that I, if I'm off off grid or off cell area, I might be able to call for help somehow. So, yeah, do you, absolutely. Do you have anything like that? Do you have a satellite phone, or what do you use to to stay in touch with society when you're off cell cell uh, uh, grid? Yeah, so we have a. It's called a Garmin Inreach, and it's just a tiny little fob thing and it's really nice because we can connect it to our phone and we can send out text messages to people it's actually super handy in emergency situations but it's also really great if we are headed into an area that is super remote but we're meeting somebody we can communicate with them from up so we can message back and forth uh through it so it's a pretty handy tool we also did the john Muir trail last or i guess it's now a year and a half ago, the 220-mile trail from Yosemite Valley to the summit of Mount Whitney. And that was really nice because we could keep it on us and our families could actually track us and knew where we were the entire time. So, so that's a driving trail, you're saying, or you hiked that? We hiked that. Well, 220 miles. And so you would camp out overnight every night and uh, you would sort of just took this 220-mile walk. Yep, we did. We wow. needed some time to think, so we gave us plenty of time. Yeah, how long did that take? 
I think it was 15 days. Yeah, we did it in 15 days. That's amazing. See, that's when you really get into the real, the, the depth of it, right? When you're really away from the van. And, uh, and, and, and so how do, you, how do you pack enough food to last 15 days on a 220-mile hike? <laughs> so we had three, was it three fill uh, stops? It was. Yeah, we had three resupplies. Yeah, the trail. we dropped off food caches uh, ahead of time. And luckily, there are some great resources out there for that because it's a part of the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, how, so we, wait, how, you know, how, how, do you, how do you drop them off? You like just to drop, drop a bag of groceries out of an airplane something? What, what, what do you mean? You drop, <laughs> what do you drop? How do you drop them off? Right. So one of the first cache was in Yosemite's National Park. It was... Uh, it was just up in Tuolumne Meadows, so it was like one day of hiking, and then we picked up our first pack. So we were just strategically placing them wherever you could. Then there was one like a few days later at um, Red Meadows, which is near Mammoth. So wait, I, I, we I, I, to, I just want to back up for a second. Sorry to interrupt, but I just don't understand. So you mean you drove to these places in advance and like hid yeah. food in the woods? No. <laughs> No, so what you do is you take a five-gallon paint bucket and you write your name on it, and there's a bear storage box because it's bear country. So there's bear storage boxes that you put them in. Yeah. Um, and it's got your name when you dropped it off and your estimated because you have to kind of like calculate roughly when you're going to be there. Um, and since each of those were in national park or you know some sort of government run they keep tabs on it just to make sure that the food is being picked up um because they're also checking on you because you do have to have permits for this since you're traveling through a lot of national parks now that's Um, cool i never heard of anything like this i didn't know you could do that i'd be worried that you'd get there and somebody ate your food yeah so (laughs) we yeah (laughs) there is kind of like in some scenarios like the first one's kind of an honor system there's no one there like policing it and like checking your id for it but then like at the other locations there was more of an infrastructure where there like the second one was like a restaurant that just so happened to also serve as a resupply station so they would make sure it was yours and then the last one was like a private ranch for, where people like ride in horsebacks and we mailed our food to them and so they would like go pick it up and then take it on horseback to their ranch where they also happen to like serve as a vacation place for people. Wow. Yeah. And it's actually pretty interesting. Cause we, um, I would say that we overestimated how much food we need. We like to eat. So we weren't trying to go hungry. Yeah. Um, so we packed a lot of extra food. And, um, when we got to that final resupply, you kind of get into this mode where every single ounce you do not have to carry, you do not want. And at that rate, we knew how much food we were and were not eating. And we met another couple uh, from the UK that were pretty, they did not bring enough calories to make it. So we actually gave them every ounce of food we did not need to make sure that they had what they needed to finish their trail. Wow, that that is so cool. Now, did you ever like encounter any sort of wild animals out there that you thought, "Geez, this is this bear isn't happy," uh, or um, anything? You ever feel in danger from any sort of wildlife situation? Um, you know, recently in Sedona, we were just hanging out at night watching the stars, and we heard some scuffling around, and yeah, there's actually scary. some javelinas that busted out of the bushes right next to us and it was quite kind of scary because javelinas don't have the best eyesight and they can be a little bit aggressive if they're startled and it was in the dark and we didn't know that they were there so we kind of assumed that they didn't you know vice versa know that we were sitting there and uh so that was 
pretty scary, actually. I had like cold sweats for a while after that one. Yeah, you also we, you, Mac also thought that there was a bear outside of our van one time. And turns out it was just a deer chewing on rocks. <laughs> that is so cool. I mean, yeah, I, I think that would be to me like being out in there without the comfort of the the van with the doors locked. That's where you start to get a little right. nervous, I think. Right. Is it a little scary being out in the middle of nowhere all by yourself with bears all around? Honestly, I feel most comfortable in those scenarios. But then again, we do a lot of backcountry backpacking and climbing and stuff like that. So we we have a lot of experience uh, in super remote areas. And it's really funny. I I feel like I'm the person I'm meant to be when I'm in the backcountry because you just kind of shed all the extra responsibilities and all the frills of life. And what's in front of you is just that's everything. We really, really love spending time in the backcountry because it's just a really simple way of living and you get to focus on each other and the view and only what you're doing. Yeah, that's that's. I, I I find that like when I when I come home from my trips in the van, when I get home, I I find myself uh, getting stressed out when I get home because it's like when I'm out on the road, I feel like I'm really I have a lot to concentrate on. I have to pay attention to where I am, not getting lost, what I'm mm-hmm. eating, what I'm doing each day. But then I don't have time to really let my mind drift off into the into the stresses of life or into the things that, you know, you would maybe, you know, w- where your mind would wander to if you weren't focused on all those other things. Is that kind of why it's is it sort of an addiction for you like that to be out there? What you, when, when, whenever you do come off the road, do you feel yourself kind of coming down from it in a in a strange way? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I've never quite put it into words that way, but it's pretty accurate. I'd say we haven't spent a lot of time off the road in this in these years, but we did quarantine with some friends this year because of COVID. And yeah, I guess the not having our mind as occupied with like the daily chores does sort of like give you room to wander into some of those other stressors that we don't normally get. Yeah, I just feel like when we like living this way because it feels like all of the excess and non-essential things of life are just, we don't have to worry about them. That's that's probably not the right way to put it, but it just feels like all the excess crap is just non-existent for us. It is like a lot of just base needs, like, when do we need to fill up our water tank? When do we need to fill up our propane tank? Are you happy? Am I happy? You know, and it really just, we feel like by removing the excess, we just get to focus on our own well-being and happiness. And that's always been a really big drive for the both of us. If something is not bringing us joy, we kind of try to just remove it from our life entirely. I don't like cleaning a house. So we live in, I don't know, how many square feet is this? Like 40? We live in 40 square feet. And if we need to clean, it takes like 10 minutes. Or if the weather is bad, we can just leave. We can, you know, the world is our oyster. And I just love not feeling tied to anything because it just leaves nothing but opportunity. And I feel like when we're in a home-like environment, there's just too many things that hold us back from doing the things that we love. It's sort of a growing movement van life, right? There's this movie out, Nomadland now, based on the book with 
uh, Francis McDormand that's getting all this amazing attention. Do you think this is going to continue growing? Are more and more people going to to take to this lifestyle? Is it going to? Are you going to start going down your favorite empty road and finding it overrun with vans and people everywhere, or is this something that has? You know, is, I'm going to be do, honest do, with do, you. You welcome more van already... lifers, or do you kind of hope it just kind of just doesn't really catch on? Oh, well, I feel like it is an exponentially growing thing. When we got on the road back in 2016, we didn't really realize, I think, the extent of what it already was because we were like, we've got this cute van and we're building it out. And I started, you know, sharing it on Instagram. And it was so weird to me that people I didn't know cared. And I think that that's like when we started to realize that this was something more than just the fact that we wanted to live out of our van. And I think that we don't have the ability to have a community in the same traditional way as people do if they would live in a neighborhood or in a traditional home-like environment. But I think that by having more people on the road, we get to have more community and it feels the exact same. We get the same benefits from it. And we love sharing our experiences out here on the road because we know the positive impacts it's had on our lives and how much happiness and joy it has brought us. And if I can give a little bit of that back to anybody, that's worth my time sharing. And I just think that if more people lead lives that make them happy, I think that the world would be a better place. And if that, if this van life is, is for them and we'll do that for them, I am 100%. So I'm, 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 I'm guessing like you meet people on the road and then you follow their social media and probably a lot of people are doing similar things. I mean, I'm doing similar things in the sense that I'm I'm, in, I'm enjoying the photography and the video aspect of it. And really, you know, you can sort of follow along with what I'm doing on my social media. Now I can follow along with you guys are doing on social media. Eventually, you must have a, a pretty big network of van life friends that you know that you probably kind of see where each other, other I mean, is, is that is that something that happens? I haven't really gotten into that world yet where it's sort of like I end up meeting people on the road. Hey, you want to meet down uh, down in the desert and here in Arizona and uh, have a beer or you kind of just kind of stay away from everyone? You know, typically before this year, we spent most of our time on our own. And if we met someone, it was usually by happenstance. Um, This year, we've hung out with a lot more people than usual. And it's been great, too. I think that we will go a little bit out of our way to meet up with friends that we know. But I feel like a lot of times it's been surprising how many times we've run into people that we know by total chance. Yeah, but I will say that um, a lot of the people that we know who live on the road, we actually started following them in their journey because we just, we liked what they were doing. We, you know, it could be something as simple as we liked their vehicle or, you know, we have similar recreational activities that we like to do. You know, we like to surf, we like to climb. Um, and a lot of times we kind of develop a relationship over, the, it's like internet internet dating for friends. Yeah. <laughs> and then like ultimately over time, we because, you know, there is a certain vulnerability with meeting up with people that you don't know. Uh, actually, there's a lot of vulnerability that comes with that. And so I think that it's kind of nice that you can develop this relationship and camaraderie with people online. And then when you get to the point in your relationship where you feel comfortable meeting in person, you can. And to circle back to what own saying about us spending a lot of time with people, we've actually been with the same two or three couples almost all year. And the reason why we decided to do that was 
we all are, I think that when COVID really started to hit the United States pretty hard, we realized how vulnerable we are out here on the road because we thought that we were just endlessly free and unencumbered and immune to all of this to a certain extent. And then when we showed up at the grocery store for the first time uh, after coming out of the backcountry and hearing that COVID was hitting the U.S. really hard, we went to the grocery store for the first time and all of a sudden we realized that our access to water was being shut down. Our access to showers was being shut down. Our access to food was no longer going to be easy or safe. And I think that when we realized if we were going to continue to be on the road this year, we needed to combine our powers, I guess, with other people who are traveling for morale sake, for mental stability sake, for carrying supplies, because between us, you know, we can carry more food, we can carry more water and we can be out more remote and around fewer people uh, for longer. What kind, we what kind of food work, are you, yeah. what kind of food are you eating? What kind of, uh, what are some of the tricks that you've picked up as far as packing food? Is there something that's efficient? That's also delicious. Oh gosh. Are you, so as far as we have a couple of like heavy hitter meals that we rotate through, um, because we kind of like to strike a balance between having some fresh food, but also if you're going to stay out remote for a long period of time, you do obviously have to have some shelf stable foods with you uh we do a lot of oh and it's japanese so we do a lot of rice dishes because you can carry a lot of rice uh without you know adding too much weight it's super cheap um can carry a lot of rice so we do a lot of rice kimchi and eggs with we'll do quick pickles on the side and that's really good we love uh getting frozen tamales because you can wrap them in tinfoil and you can actually steam them over the fire and then you can put them on a bed of salad, which is really nice. Or if you have run out of your fresh produce, you can just eat them straight up. Uh, we love making tacos. We like to spend a lot of time in Mexico. So there's a lot of uh, Mexican influence, I would say, in the food that we eat. Um, but yeah, I think that anything, like I said, we love to eat healthy. And I think it's really important to me as the person who's primarily cooking for the two of us. To have the food feel like it's not temporary, I don't like it to feel like camping food. I like it to feel like we're at home here, and I never wanted it to feel temporary. And so I think that we put a lot of focus on the, the quality of the food that we eat while we're out to ensure that, again, we're staying healthy out here. Wow, that sounds delicious. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> that sounds better than what I've been eating. I've been eating a lot of uh, you know canned tuna um, I, uh, I, I just, uh, I just started getting into these sort of freeze dried boil and you boil the water and you pour it into a bag. And it, like, I'm like that, yeah. I really like that because there's no dishes. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah that's, it sounds like you guys are eating uh, better than me. <laughs> I will say there's, a, there's a strategy when it comes to food, because I'm sure your refrigerator is probably roughly the same size as ours. Or, you know, if you're operating off of a cooler, which we've also done in the past, you really have to be strategic because when you go, like, you can't buy a bunch of components for totally unassociated meals because then when you're done with those meals, you're like, okay, well, now I've got this huge thing of relish taking up space in my refrigerator. So what we try to do is we try to plan different meals that require similar ingredients. So when we go to the grocery store, we're operating on an essentially empty refrigerator. So we really like to eat the food that we have down to almost zero 
by the time we're going into the store. So there's a lot of a lot of strategy and fine tuning and trial and error that comes with kind of figuring that out in the meals that you love that kind of uh, can work in association with each other uh, to make that happen. But it's a fun strategy that we really love. I think that we're actually very strategy driven people. And that's why we love living this way is there's so much strategy that just comes with everyday life. Yeah, it's kind of like you're trying to solve little problems all the time. I I, like my my little solution. My my solution for the empty uh, or or the, the opened bottle of mayonnaise solution I came up with uh, tell me if you've done this, but I ordered uh, a bunch of those like mini packets, you know, like they're the little mini packets yeah. of mustard and ketchup and mayonnaise and relish. And so I just have a big bag of mini packets of stuff and then I just use them as I need them. Yeah, that's we've definitely done that in the past. Or if you uh, if you go out, we always would ask for extras because we'll hold on to those. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will. I am also. I would say that we're both a bit of environmentalists. So we're also, there's this interesting strategy of layering all of that. And now that we've kind of perfected that, working back into our systems to go as minimally wasteful as oh, humanly possible. Too mu- that's too much plastic wasted doing that, right? Unfortunately, it, yeah, for yeah. me, that's a little bit too much. But I, like I said, it takes time to figure out your processes and you know, we have the luxury of now being four plus years in to dive back into those processes. And the other thing is, because we stay so remote, we have to get all of our trash out. So by creating less waste, we actually have less trash to deal with in the end. And so it's just like, again, all these things that normal people don't have to worry about uh, that we are constantly having to keep tabs on. What's the longest you usually stay in one place? Um, I'd say when we're really in a good groove, we're spending probably four to seven days in a camp spot. Nice. Yeah. We like to really just take our time. Like, especially when we're working a lot too, we just, it's hard to get a lot of work done, but also move a bunch at the same time. Cause it takes a bit to break down and put back up camp yeah we also really like to go out on foot from our camp spot and you know leave camp set up as it is go out on foot and just see what's out there that is another great way to find stuff that you otherwise wouldn't find for instance where we're at now there's a big hill up behind us and we yesterday decided to just go venture up the hill and we found a bunch of boulders and we climbed so we took our climbing gear up there and we just found some rocks to climb but they're not on any map. You know, nobody's going to tell you about them because they're not developed in any way. But it was a whole day's worth of, you know, hanging out that we were able to just take our gear up the hill after we discovered those boulders up there and do a day of climbing. Right before I uh, got on the phone with you, I was looking at your YouTube channel, Bound for Nowhere. Everybody listening, go look at it. Bound for Nowhere on YouTube. Um, and I just clicked on I didn't get to see where it was I was trying to figure out where it was because it was amazing footage of it was your desert camping and there was some drone footage and it looked just incredible. It looked like Monument Valley or something like that, but I don't think it was Monument Valley. Where was that? I have a feeling you're talking about uh, it's like a central Utah. Um, the hang- So it's actually the Capitol Reef uh, National Park. I will say I am very embarrassed to admit this. The first time Owen and I, back in 2012, we went to Capitol Reef and we spent the day looking around and we sat on a bench and we both said, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing now, but 
just back then, we just couldn't dig in deep. And that area, the Capitol Reef area, is one of the most geographically fascinating areas in this entire country. I hope one day that we can call that area home. It is just every time we go there, we find more. And it is just rich in human history, uh, far, you know, before European settlers came, the Native Americans. Incredible history there. There is just the most beautiful landscape. It feels like a foreign planet. It does not feel like you are on planet Earth, but that is what we love. I, we are being from the Southeast, are, we're so unfamiliar with that kind of landscape. And now we have just fallen so head over heels in love with the desert. Yeah, it's not too terribly far from. So I've I've watched some of your videos too, and we saw your Valley of the Gods video. Yeah, which by the way, we can't the exact same spot. Two weeks before you were there. <laughs> oh wow, two cool. Two oh, two weeks after. That's a cool yeah, spot. We there, like, right <laughs> That's a cool spot. But it's it's only a few hours from there, I think. Yeah. I love it out there. I, 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 it's similar, like I'm from Canada, so the desert is mysterious and, and magical and, and like, like alien-like to me. It just feels like you're on Mars. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite spots so far was, was up in uh, northern uh, uh, New Mexico. I went to a native uh, ruin uh, called Chaco Canyon, which was incredibly beautiful uh ruins of of uh, native american ruins pueblo people ruins but also just the canyon itself was just shockingly beautiful it was very similar actually to uh to valley of the gods yeah yeah we haven't made it out there but it's been on our list it's you know like like i said the list is always growing it's so hard to try and see it all but it's the southwest is so much amazing stuff yeah uh so where in canada are you from specifically Ottawa, the capital. Oh, you're on, from Ottawa. Ontario, yeah. just sort of north of New York State. Yeah, we uh, went through there a few years ago, actually. Yeah, we, we did. Yeah, we did a loop. Um, we went up through Maine, and we did uh, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, Labrador. Came all the way down the coast of Quebec. Spent some time in Quebec and then came over to Ottawa. Yeah, that's beautiful out in the East Coast. That must have been an incredible, uh, an incredible trip. I'm, I'm looking for. See, that's a, that's a thing. Like I've I've learned that I have to kind of follow the weather. I'd like to go up to Canada now, and everyone's mm-hmm. saying, "Why aren't you coming to Canada? You're Canadian." But you know, the thing is, it's it's cold. And you're it's, like, it's, I'll it's, die it's cold if in I Canada. go up there now. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold in Canada. Yeah. I'm living outside. Um, is 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 there? I heard you mentioned that you went have been going into Mexico too. Do you do do a lot of uh, traveling through Mexico in your van? Do you ever have any security issues with that? Do you feel safe? Down there, yeah, we've been down to Mexico a handful of times. Always in the Baja California uh, Peninsula, yeah. So we've done that. We haven't done any mainland Mexico, where I think more of people's issues seem to come from. We also don't spend a lot of time in Tijuana, uh, like the border big cities. We tend to go down and just try and be in more remote areas as Typic- per usual. Yeah, typically when we're headed down there, we're headed down there to uh, surf and spearfish. So we're headed into super remote areas with some really nice waves. Um, and often, you know, we'll go days without seeing anybody down there. That's beautiful. So, yeah, yeah. I, dr- I drove down Baja, California 25 years ago, maybe maybe a little more uh-huh. when, I was, when I was in my 20s. Dreaming. And, uh, and, uh, we, you know, we just drove down there in a, in a rented Jeep Cherokee that we rented in uh, San Diego. And, 
It was beautiful. We drove over to the Sea of Cortez. It was incredible, yeah. incredible uh, landscape. Is but but it's nice to hear that you're going down there now because I wasn't sure if it was if it was still safe to go down Baja California. Is it is it is safe? I, I mean, I'm thinking maybe about doing that again with my van. Yeah, I think it's a great place to go with the van. Honestly, um, we haven't had any trouble at all. You know, everyone we've we've heard horror stories, but we've also heard more like great stories than bad ones yeah i think it just comes down to you have to you have to listen to your gut when it comes to any scenario and i feel that way about it doesn't matter where you are you have to listen to your gut on places and if you get a feeling about something just i would leave but every time we've been to baja the people are warm inviting they're so happy that we're down there. I mean, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're bringing money to their communities. And I would say that Baja is a pretty, you know, Baja is not the most wealthy area in Mexico. So I think that people are just really happy to see that people are excited about where they live. So are you doing dis- um, are you doing dispersed camping in Baja or are you staying at hotels when you go down there? I mean, do you, is it does it feel safe to just go camp on the on the beach by yourself or are there other campers uh, around? How, how do you do that? We're typically pretty dispersed. There's a couple of famous surf spots that we've been to where, you know, there are other campers out there um, and other people trying to surf the same waves. Um, but then there's some spots that are going to be more uh, w- more remote where we don't see anybody. And I will say that there's some really great resources out there for if you are interested in venturing down that far that... Uh, you know, that can be really helpful just to, if you are wanting a little bit more security, you know, there's amazing places that you can stay on the beach with a Palapa for five US dollars a night. So really and truly anything that you could be looking for from elaborate accommodations to zero accommodations, you can find down there in Baja. I might want to pick your brain about that uh, off off the radio, Our brains, off, off the podcast. Our at brains some point. are yeah. yours to pick seriously we have a lot of very specific resources that um and this is off the record we do try to hold some of those things a little bit close to the vest because we do feel like it's important that people do their own research for safety and environmental reasons before uh venturing into some of these places but specifically i i have some stuff that we would like to share with you uh that i think will make your journey easier for even in the u.s yeah, no, that's now now you've got my curiosity uh, going like, well, <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah, we've just been a lo- what am I doing wrong? You've seen some of my videos. Uh, what, what? Yeah, and I don't and I don't mean to do that. And so, like <laughs> I said, off the record. So I, I just feel like maybe I should just like there is a growing like this is a growing movement and there is a lot of devastation happening, like environmental devastation yeah. happening out there. Uh, a lot of places that we have loved to revisit for years, we are showing up and they are trashed. Yeah. Trashed beyond relief. And it is, and it's so exciting to see so many people getting excited about going outside, overlanding, van life, all of these things. But I do feel a sense of responsibility to ensure that if we are sharing information, that we're also in sh- sharing how to do these things responsibly because all too often these days, it feels like we're showing up to camp spots and there are, is toilet paper just yeah. strewn about 
everywhere yeah. or yeah. trash or plant life just being absolutely run over and trampled. And I think it's really important that if this movement is going to continue, that we have to do it in a responsible way. Because the thing is, we have seen place after place after place that were public access that are now shut down, that nobody has access to anymore because they're just being devastated. Yeah, I find that, do you find that sometimes people might be going out into this natural setting just in search of the perfect Instagram photo and they don't really have 100%. any sort of stake in the game? They don't really know what it means to be you know, protective of the environment? Yeah, I would say, I would say that that is a pretty uh, accurate assessment of all of that. And it's, and it's really frustrating because it feels like there are no repercussions for those things. And once some of these natural resources are gone there, that's it. Yeah. I think it's easy to sort of go to some place and not worry about the amount of pressure you're applying onto the land, because if you're just going to go there once, take a picture and leave, you don't necessarily see the, the, the evolution and the change and the degradation of it. But, you know, for those people that live there or go back there frequently, like they will start to see and notice like the immense pressure that a lot of social media, like if you're geotagging, for instance, like a lot of things and these places get blown up and all of a sudden they're receiving so much visitation that they just can't handle it, the environment itself. And so it's, it's easy to, to just, like take a picture and leave and not think anything of it. But, you know, if you're going back and visiting, you start to like see these things happen and you see the cycle and you just have to be, yeah, we just like really want to make sure that we want people to get out there, but we also want people to be educated. Yeah. I was was just in uh, Cabiza Prieta, which is just Southern Arizona, close to the Mexican border, a beautiful place. And I went driving down some very remote roads, uh, nobody there. And you sort of occasionally see things that are kind of disgusting, like you see a cactus that has been used as target practice, and it's full of bullet holes, you know. And it's like somebody's obviously gone out into the desert and decided to shoot, shoot the cactus for fun, you know. And you're sort of sitting there kind of almost feeling sick to your stomach looking at this beautiful 150-year-old's, you know, cactus that's just been you know shot up and and uh and i can't stand it yeah it's it's pretty frustrating and i think that you know a lot of times if you tell people that you don't want to tell them where something is you know people consider that gatekeeping and i very much understand that but to me by just giving away where places are they don't understand, like, there's a process to finding these places. You have to work for them. You know, we've had to spend years learning how to read maps and to find these places. I look at it as giving a man a fish versus teaching a man to fish. And I think that maybe the bigger thing is teaching people to read maps, teaching people to understand the different types of public land that we have here in the U.S., what you can and cannot do on them, how long you can stay on that land, and just like more responsibility uh, use of the land. Because at the end of the day, it's all of ours. It belongs to every single one of us. And it's all of our responsibility to ensure that it's around for future generations to enjoy. Because we have already seen so much change out there. And it just is kind of scary to think about it on the grander 
you know, at a grander picture of like years and years down the road, if people continue to treat a lot of the land that we that we visit. The what way that ki- what we kind have of complications been. are there about, you know, on to another subject real quick. What kind of complications do you find, not to get too personal, but being in a relationship in a van, <laughs> right? I mean, you're, 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 you're on top of each other, like you're right, you're right, you're, you don't have a lot of personal space. How do you manage that so that you can not drive each other nuts? <laughs> yeah, so I will say when we left to go on the road the first time, like post-college, so we're, we're married now, but we were not back then. We were just uh, dating. And my when we left, my mom was like, if you guys are still together when you get back, like we can all just assume that this relationship's probably going to work out. And I will say that that first trip, uh, there was a lot of personality conflicts that came up. And I think that both Owen and I are very non-confrontational people. And so it was like a bunch of like small, relatively seeming insignificant, like personality clashes that we just kept sweeping under the rug. And then we got to Moab a couple months into this trip And there was an incident and it just kind of felt like the last straw for me personally. And I told Owen, I was like, you're going to get in this car. We're going to talk this out. And when we get out, we're either going to be together or we're going to be broken up. Like that's going to be the end of our relationship. Cause that is, that's like just the, the build process that had happened up until that point. And I think that over the next couple of hours, as we were sorting through it, it realized that, we both kind of realized that we were doing things that were wearing on the other person, but neither one of us was ever saying anything about it. Neither one of us are mind readers. So you can't do something about it or fix it or change it. If you don't know that you're bothering somebody in a certain way. So from that day forward, you know, we sorted, we're still together. So spoiler alert, we worked it out. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, but, I didn't want to bring up like uh, old issues or anything like that, but all I'm saying is specific, specific to the van though, because you know, what you're talking about sounds sort of typical of, of, of all relationships. You've got to kind of talk things through, but in the van specifically, you know, you're in there. Do you, do you, do you take walks? Do you go off on your own sometimes or, or how do you, how do you manage being in the van itself? together right so it's it is tough when there is some disputes and feuds because like you still kind of have to work together even if you're mad at Not each kind other of. you do have to work together like there was a time in idaho where we were what well, we had were mad at each other and so mac wanted to go take a yoga class but i had to like go drop her off and then pick her up at the right time and <laughs> so we still had to like work together and make plans despite like being mad at each other so like you it's kind of weird to be mad at someone in that situation just because you still have to be cordial and like and work, work together. And work, work together. Yeah, that's right. And so there's things like that. We definitely will take walks sometimes just from camp if that's available and easy to do. Um, I think, yeah, it's just being able to like also communicate openly all the time and just like not let anything fester so that we can make sure that we nip it in the bud because everything just seems to be, you know, like so much more exaggerated in the smaller space. So if it just means like, you know, we take a walk and clear our minds or if we just leave each other alone for a little bit, then that's yeah. what it takes. I think it just, it takes over communication. And then what I was getting at is like when we got, we just realized that our process needs to be in the moment, even if it's like small and insignificant, if something is bothering one of us, you know, you'd be like, hey, 
I, I really don't like it when you do that. Can you just, can you just not? And then he'd be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was doing that. I'll take care of it. Like, it won't be an issue. And then nobody's feelings, it never gets to the point where anybody's feelings are hurt. So it feels like those instances are becoming farther and fewer between because we try before it's even an issue, we try to deal with it. But in the event, in the event that space needs to be given, we just have like, we have a rule feelings can't be hurt. If, if somebody needs space, like you give them the space or you help them get the space that they need. Um, and however they want that to come. Talking to Mac and Owen from Bound for Nowhere on uh, YouTube and Instagram. What's your Instagram uh, address? Is this Bound for Nowhere we're, as well? Uh, ba- yeah, we're Bound for Nowhere in all the places on the Internet. Bound, F-O-U-R, Nowhere, right? Bound, not the number four, but Bound for yeah. Nowhere. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I see you have a little cat that seems like it's very well behaved. It, 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 it is, do you have, a, you have a cat? Was that your cat? Yeah, Luna just passed away oh. three weeks ago. Oh, so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, it, um, it was a really... So we had Luna for... We got her while we were in college. Um, we've had, we had her for 10 years. And when we first went on the road, we tried to get her acclimated to our first vehicle. And it was a 1985, so it was loud. Um, and since it was constantly breaking down, it just felt like she was not into it. And since we had an option, we took her to go live with Owen's parents. Uh, and so we just kind of felt like it wasn't worth the stress for her and, you know, somewhat selfishly for us. So for two years, she was living with Owen's parents. And then when we got this vehicle, it felt like for the first time we had the space to take her on and to move slow enough that we could really work with her to get her acclimated to living on the road. And I think that that cat on every single day that she was out on the road with us for those uh, last two years of her life, she just blew us away with how adaptable she was and how much she loved being out here with us. And she just made, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little choked up. Um, yeah. She just, she just made every, every moment of every day feel so special and like we never would need to go back to a home because she made she made our truck feel like home and she made everywhere feel like home. Um, but we lost her suddenly to large cell lymphoma and complications with gallstones. I'm so sorry to hear that. I I have my dog Charlie with me and she's she's just a who little, is precious. She's just a little My puppy. Diana. She's eight months old now and she's kind of. Uh, really, I don't. I don't know how I would, you know, because I'm I'm by myself with Charlie, so I don't know how I would really even be able to do this without Charlie. I mean, I, it gives me something to someone to talk to out there on the road. But I just thought it was. I thought Luna was so cool in the video that I saw. How I've never seen a cat that kind of follows you around. And I always figured if you had let a cat off the leash, it would just be gone into the woods. But it seemed like it was a very well behaved cat. Yeah, she was great. She would always stick around the truck all the time. Yeah, we would go out on little family walks and everything. And yeah, like seeing you at Charlie is like like brings up those same ideas of like it's so it's so much more enriching to have them along to like to see these places, but then to like see it through their lens too. Just like brings a whole new sense of like experiencing it and yeah Grat- gratification. Just, yeah, it's just it makes everything like just that much more special. Yeah, and I will say it did. She didn't miraculously just be well behaved. That took time. 
Yeah. That took time and practice. Yeah, because I could imagine you would be worried that you would sort of go to a campsite and then the cat might run off and you'd be kind of in... I'm very careful. That's one thing that's so interesting about putting video up on the internet. And I'm, I'm sure you must experience things like this, but everyone's so critical of everything you do. So I go out, I have Charlie with me. I have a little lead that I put Charlie on when I get to a campsite, so I don't have to constantly be watching her. She's got, you know, f- you know 50 foot you know, lead on her leash. And, and uh, you know, everyone, why has you got your dog chained up? I'm like, well, because I'm in the middle of friggin' New Mexico, and if the dog gets eaten by a mountain lion, it's not going to be good. That's why I got the dog chained up, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, there's coyotes everywhere. Yeah, it, it makes sense to me. Yeah, and when just to clarify, when she was off the leash, we were, she was only ever off the leash or even really outside the vehicle, uh, when we were with her. So we were all, and it's funny because I think that she was super accustomed to that. So we'd be on a family walk and she'd get a couple feet ahead of us and she'd con- she constantly would turn around to see where we were. So I think that a lot of her confidence was our presence, if I'm being perfectly honest. But yeah, you have to be ultra careful with stuff like that. And also at the end of the day, that cat is, was you know, she's our everything. I would never, ever put her in any sort of harm's way. So yeah, I, we, we, we watch her with eagle eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm sure it's the same with, with Charlie. Oh, I yeah. did have a question for you. Are you familiar with the book Travels with Charlie? That is what Charlie is Charlie is named after, Travels with Charlie. We suspected as much. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Same spelling, sure. same spelling, C-H-A-R-L-E-Y. Yeah. And in fact, my van uh, has in Spanish script font Rosinante, uh painted on it as well, which is the same I name thought- that Sean Steinbeck called his his camper was Rocinante, named after uh, Don Quixote's horse. And I, I don't know what who Don Quixote named his horse after, but uh, but uh, but yeah, that's that that's all travels with Charlie. Uh, oh, tra- I love that. Influenced, yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw that and I was like, and it's got to be He's got to be. It's too close, too similar. Uh, Good call. Absolutely. Well, listen, my last question, because we've been talking for over an hour now, and it's been amazing uh, talking to you guys. Um, uh, But uh, where where are you going next? And uh, is there anywhere you really, really want to go that you haven't been yet? Yeah. um, So this past summer, we were hoping to go up to Alaska and do a lot of British Columbia as well. But uh, since the border to Canada never truly opened, we decided to postpone it and spent most of our summer in Wyoming. But we're hoping this year to go to Alaska and do that for the summer. Yeah. And then after, if we can make it to Alaska this year, we're starting to feel really content uh, with what we've accomplished here in North America. So we are actually starting to plan um, what life looks like on another continent. Oh, okay. Wow. So, uh, you're going to take, you're going to ship the van overseas somewhere and go explore Europe or, or, uh, we so- are not South, entirely South, South America sure. maybe, or where? So we're actually thinking that we're going to start in Japan. Um, wow. Owen has always felt a strong draw, obviously to Japan, um, to go explore his heritage. Uh, so we want to start in Japan hopefully uh, sometime early next year. And then we would not take a vehicle to Japan. Um, 
And then from there, we're hoping to then go to Australia for as long as a visa will allow us. And then from there, I think that we're going to keep our options open. And we haven't decided about the vehicle yet, just because um, we're a we really like cars. We're a bit of car nerds. Uh, and there's some vehicles that we have always aspired to own that are in Australia. So we're kind of, we're of the mind that we won't take our vehicle just so we have the opportunity to, even if it's temporarily own, um, some of the amazing, amazing overlanding vehicles that are offered in Australia. Oh, like what, 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 what one, what's the one you want? A defender. Oh, your girl wants. <laughs> Those are so nice, except for they catch on fire. Uh, oh, surprisingly, that's frequently. never a good one. They um, catch on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Your girl really wants a Toyota troop carrier. Oh, OK. I, I, I'm going to have to look that up. A Toyota troop carrier. OK, very. Cool. Yeah, it's a it's a version of a Toyota Land Cruiser, but it has a bumped out like a larger body in the back, which makes it a little bit better for living. Um, and there's a bunch of amazing companies out in Australia that put pop tops on them. Wow, that sounds that sounds pretty hardcore. That's amazing. Well, yeah, Australia's super super rugged to travel in, so we're hoping to acquire a vehicle that can get us to those super far out places. That is so cool. Well, listen, Mac Owen, Owen Mac, thank you so much uh, for talking to me today. And uh, I'll be following along on Instagram. I'll I'll, I'll fo- make sure to follow you and. Uh, Maybe I'll uh, shoot you a message and see if I can get some of these secret spots if I ask nicely. I was going to say, yeah, don't hesitate. Yeah, shoot us an email. Don't hesitate to reach out. We're an open book. Like, our knowledge is your knowledge, and anything that we can do to make your life easier on the road, to keep you out longer, we're absolutely willing to make happen. And I was going to say, on the note of getting stuck, I recommend carrying some Max Tracks. Oh, those those little, those, those, uh, plastic things that you shove under your wheel. Yeah, you, yeah. I, I, actually do, I actually do not have those right now. They will save you. They will save you. Perfect for the sand. Yeah, perfect for the sand, great for mud, um, good for helping other people, and you can use them as levelers if you need a little bit of, like, leveling out at camp. Ah, Max Tracks, they're called. Mm-hmm. Max Tracks, okay, i got to get those. Okay, good, I've got my homework assignment. thank you so much it was honestly it was an honor it's kind of it's amazing to hear your voice and know that it's speaking to us (laughs) oh no it's so cool so cool to talk to you guys i love i love your films and your adventures it's very inspiring and uh and uh gives me a lot to think about so thanks for thanks for being on my show appreciate it awesome thank you so much we'll have a wonderful rest of your day and travel safe yes safe travels we'll talk soon okay bye Thanks, Mac and Owen. Everybody follow them on their social media. The links will be uh, here in the description, I believe. i got to figure out how to do that. And, uh, and just check out their stuff, man. And if you're thinking about getting into van life, I mean, listen to this show because we're going to give you some of the, the tips and the tricks. Obviously, I'm learning a lot just uh, talking to everybody. Uh, Mac and Owen just uh, gave me a lot of tips and tricks. And uh, I think they may have even uh, slipped me a couple of secret locations. So maybe we'll go there together. And just so you know, pretty soon I'm going to get cameras on this podcast. So you're going to be able to watch uh, on my YouTube channel, uh, which is youtube.com slash Tom Green. Follow me on social media on Instagram. 
follow me on Twitter. Uh, but most importantly, subscribe to this podcast. If you hadn't cli- ha- haven't clicked subscribe, click subscribe. And tell your friends to subscribe to this podcast. Thank you, Audio Up, for the support. I uh, really appreciate it. Without Audio Up, this podcast wouldn't be uh, here, and then, uh, you know, it would be a lot more difficult to do what I'm doing. So I really, really do appreciate that. And everybody out there, um, peace, stay positive. I know it's been a crazy time, it continues to be crazy, but I feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I feel like the pandemic is waning, I feel like, maybe it's not waning, but maybe uh, I can feel a day where it will be waning, I can imagine a day where it will be waning, until then, uh, I'll be in my van, hiding, hiding in the woods, Uh, by myself with my dog Charlie hiding terrified of the worldwide global pandemic no no I'm not I'm not I'm actually you know this is what I say to everybody try to make try to make this um, something that you remember at least even if it's a horrible situation for everybody and all of us and you try to find a way to just flip it on its head. That's what I always like to do. When something's bad, I flip it on its head. And, you know, that's what I've done here with this van. I'm, I'm traveling around the, and, and I'm doing my thing. And, and I'm trying to uh, find a way to occupy myself. You know, lo- lots of you have things that I, that I don't have, right? Like lots of you have uh, wives and husbands and children and family in the same city that you live in. I don't have that. I experience a lot of loneliness out here. And uh, I really, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, I've experienced a lot of loneliness. And I'm not always totally happy, to be honest with you. But I am finding a way to, uh, to, 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 to find, a, I'm finding a way to enjoy the, the life that I am finding myself living right now with my photography and with my video I am I sound like I'm trying to convince myself maybe I gotta settle down maybe I I think I need to settle down I need to I need to find a nice uh, nice lady who would like to have some children and we could we could run in the fields is that what you do when you have families families out there do you run in fields with your families is that what you do do you skip through Fields with your children. I, uh, that's what I do with Charlie. Um, I like to skip through fields with Charlie, but I could imagine if I had a nice lady marry, to marry and a nice uh, couple of children, we would probably skip through fields together and, and be joyous, right? There'd be a lot of joy. I'm not saying I'm not totally happy. I mean, I, I'm a pretty happy guy. I mean, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, but I'm just sort of imagining an alternate sort of universe where I was skipping through fields of daffodils with children, and there was like gleeful, joyous giggling all around. I could see that would be fun, too. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I know it's been a tough year, and Sometimes people say, oh, yeah, cry me a river. You're out on holiday in your van. And I, yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that. But, you know, there is a lot of, 
a lot of uh, things that I that I don't have in my life that I that I would like to have, you know. And I could see myself, uh, you know, doing uh, a lot of things someday that uh, that I do not have in my life right now. The grass is always greener, right? And uh, you know, you can you can look at a guy traveling around in his van by himself with his dog eating freeze dried food out of a boil in a bag fucking device, and. Uh, not a device and you could you could think to yourself man that guy's got it all but you know what it's lonely out here on the roads man you guys are my friends actually you guys are really my my main friends my main friends you guys you you know having you tune in and then comment on social media you know that that's actually what is you know important to me that you guys are here so thank you uh, I've basically just revealed that I'm uh, lonely, that my only friends are the people listening to my podcast, and that uh, I'm living uh, a life of, uh, of ruin and turmoil. Uh, everything's a disaster. My life is a complete... No, I, I'm actually fine. I'm fine. Totally. I'm, everything is fine. Everything is fine, okay? I fell, asleep on my, I, I fell asleep on my live stream this week. Everything's fine. No, no. Um... Actually, it's been a, it's been about two weeks since I fell asleep on my live stream, but I'm not doing that anymore. Okay, um, I'm not going to do that anymore. But uh, love you guys. Everything is fine. Okay, don't go crazy in the comments. I'm just kind of doing a little stream of consciousness rant here. Sometimes I'll say the first thing that comes to my head. The point is, I'm enjoying myself. Okay, but you're probably enjoying yourselves more. That's all I'm saying. Okay. All I'm saying is the pandemic's been tough on everybody, myself included. That's all I'm trying to say, okay? Love you guys. I'm going to talk to you later. Everybody, be, be safe, and we'll see you next week on Van Life. Peace. Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find the ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.